Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Hey, we're back. It's Rick and Nick Talk Flicks once again. Welcome along to the podcast. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. We're still filling in for Rick and Nick as per the usual. So once again... Here we are. Coming up on April Fool's Day, you'd think maybe they would, for a goof, show up and, I don't know, maybe actually host the show for the first time in almost a year. That would be a perfect way to to (laughs) cap April Fool's Day, I would say, Dave, is if they would just show up and start doing the show. Yeah, but those fools are never going to show up. Probably not. Not for a permanent, anything short of a, a cameo like a few episodes back. I think so, yeah, that that brief, brief cameo that we got there the other week. So, anyway, welcome along. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters. Great selection of movies in at the Bemidji Theaters, so make sure you stop on by and catch a film there. Great place to catch a movie here locally with several different movies that you can catch on the big screen there at the Bemidji Theater. And you got a lot of those summer movies that are opening pretty darn early into the spring. You've got uh, Avengers coming up here. You've got Ready Player One in just a matter of weeks and plenty more after that. And that is your place to hook up with summer movies. That's right. We've got a main topic that we are going to be getting into today. I did want to start there briefly, though, Dave, in the in the present day and discuss what's going on with the movies because... Black Panther's still doing terrific yeah. business and has been phenomenal. You're really looking forward to Ready Player One, though. You've been t- you've been talking that up. You've been pretty excited about that one here for a little bit. For those maybe who are listening to this, who are curious about what Ready Player One is looking like, can you give at least a little bit of background into what is making this movie one that is generating a lot of buzz and a lot of interest for one is a lot of a couple a couple of different things and i will confess that i'm going into this movie a way that i prefer to which is very ignorant i don't want to know everything i didn't know until recently that this is based on a book had no idea so okay that's interesting the book they said for a long time was almost unfilmable because of the way that it's presented um, but apparently Spielberg has pulled it off. They just had down in Texas the South by Southwest Festival, and they screened it, and it got, despite a technical snafu that happened during one of the screenings, it went off with a huge success. People loved it. Um, it can be kind of a cluster to look at it because it's about a virtual world but a real world, kind of like the Matrix in a way. Um, to give you a real quick jaunt as to what it is, um, there's essentially an Internet escape called the Oasis, And people plug into it, and they use their own avatars, and they can plug into a lot of pop culture references, which is another big draw. Uh, Freddy Krueger's in it, King Kong's in it, the DeLorean from Back to the Future's in it, and a whole lot of other things that are going to pop up. And that's how people represent themselves in the Oasis. The creator of the Oasis dies, and he leaves a vast treasure and leaves clues to the treasure in the Oasis. So everyone plugs into the Oasis to find the clues, to find the treasure. So it's kind of like the Matrix meets It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World is essentially how you could present it. And you're thinking, that well, that's... Is, that is a heck of a combination. That's a, that's a heck of a combination, and it's it could easily go down as a dumpster fire. But Spielberg is a craftsman. And like I've said, the early reviews are starting to come back and saying, you know, it may have every potential to be a dumpster fire, but it's not. He makes it work. Yeah, it sounds like from early reviews... It's looking pretty good. Stellar that's, reviews. Yeah, the reviews look pretty good. They say, A lot of what I'm reading is that it's just going to be big-time entertainment, that you are going to have to grab a bowl of popcorn and just sit back and enjoy it. It's it's one of those kinds of movies, which might resonate for some, might not resonate so much for others, but it, it, it sounds like it's going to be genuinely enjoyable. It's a, you know, I've said before, Spielberg, when he got into... Schindler's List. He kind of never looked back and went the great adventure route that had really defined his career to start with. Jaws, Goonies, Back to the Future, whether he directed or produced those movies, he was very involved in them. And then he got into the serious fare, and Schindler's List led to other things like Saving Private Ryan, like Lincoln. And they're all fantastic movies, but I, as a Spielberg fan, would love to see him get back into the adventure realm 
And yeah, he's been tied to Jurassic Park after the first one, but now we've got Ready Player One, which he didn't only you know do the screenplay with and produce it, but directed it. Um, doesn't have a really well known cast, but it's a Spielberg movie, and it looks like he's. If you're a kid of the of the '80s and '90s, there's a lot to love about the nostalgia in it, and it's a lot of references. Spiel, a lot of references, and it's vintage Spielberg. Yeah, and there are a couple of notable members of the cast who who kind of pop out at least off the yeah. start when you see guys like Ben Mendelsohn, Simon Pegg, and then Mark Rylance. But a lot of a lot of the younger uh, people who are a part of this this movie are are newer names. So that'll yeah. be kind of cool. I think anyone that anyone knows at all is really a supporting character, and the the bread and butter of this movie is uh, are new to be discovered and breakout actors. Yeah. So we'll see how they do. We've got a new trailer. For yeah. the Avengers, did you avoid the trailer? I've name? avoided the trailers. I don't want to know. I I kind of like to go into things ignorant because it's about this point where the second and third and fourth trailer comes out that you start seeing things you'd rather not see. Right. So I, like I said, I like to go into things kind of ignorantly and I don't want to know the spoilers. I want to know just enough to know what I'm getting into and okay, done. That sounds like a pretty good plan. And on the flip side, you've got those people who are desperate to get anything trailer wise for any nuggets and, and that's they'll, okay they'll watch it on repeat all the way up until the movie well you might be and you might end up doing more harm than good to your Im- interpretation of the movie and how you see what you see out of it when you actually get to the movie i know trailers are a future topic that's something that we're probably going to discuss at some point here yeah but Hey, it, it's it's really a, a, a to each person, to each their own when it comes to how trailers work. And we've said before, you know, getting into movies, it's not necessarily something to be consumed as it is to be savored. And if you're going to digest every little morsel of a movie, including the trailer, that's awesome. When the movie's out and I've really enjoyed the movie, I'll go back and watch all the trailers and all of that because then I can soak it in and I don't care what, there's no much thing as spoilers anymore. Um, and sometimes they'll throw you a curve. They know you're waiting to find something, so they'll throw you a curve, make you think that it's in the movie, and maybe it's not. And people get norked about that. Well, it was in the trailer. It should be in the movie. No, all bets are off when you're talking about the trailer. That is completely within the realm of yep. rules and fair game. Um, but that's part of movie going. So if that's your thing and you want to spoil yourself, that's fine. People unwrap their presents on Christmas a couple days before. Just, you know, kind of spoils the surprise. But if that's your thing, that's right. I'm not going to judge. So anyway, we'll save trailers for another day and discuss them a little bit more at length. But there is another one for the Avengers out. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you're holding off. I'm holding off. Whatever the plan, we're just about a month away. So it's right around the corner. Our topic today is discussing a, a, a very influential film genre that in many ways has been past its heyday, but I think is maybe more prevalent and more more impactful in terms of its legacy now than ever. And I'll explain why as we go throughout the course of the episode today. So for the episode today, we wanted to discuss westerns. As Dave sets the mood with a little bit of... Very skillful whistling in the background. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. When we're talking about westerns, you can't help but think about something like a a a soundtrack for a um for a Clint Eastwood movie and Ennio Morricone type of soundtrack there. So anyway, yes, we are discussing the western a little bit, a genre that in many ways has gone through a lot of different iterations and a lot of different looks to it. The westerns of the 1930s and the 1940s looked in many ways, very different from the Westerns of the 60s and 70s when you really think about it. And here's what's bizarre about that. You know, if you're doing Westerns in the early years of cinema, um, before TV was showing them on all the time, it was big in the 50s, think about the Westerns were, you know, the heart of the Westerns were the 1880s, roughly, give or take, on either side. So we're talking about roughly 50 years after doing the Westerns. That would be like today, going back and doing a World War II movie. You'd think you'd be somewhat accurate. But you look at some of those things from the 30s, that's not anything like what pictures from the Westerns look like. How'd they get that so wrong? Well, further than 50 years now for, for doing World War II, but more like 70. But um, you know what I mean? It's something's – you'd think they'd be somewhat more accurate with those 30s representations of an era that was half a century earlier. Exactly. Yeah, you'd, you'd think. But it started out that the Western kind of – was a a backdrop and a genre of entertainment with the way that it would get portrayed on film, at least in in some of the early years. When you think about those those John Wayne westerns, a lot of them 
early on with those, they were telling an entertaining story, or they they were setting it within within the West, which really is a good place to start. With the Western, there are so many different directions that you can go in terms of what kind of story that you want to tell with it. But but very often it it's taking place in the old American West is what it is. And then there's there's some kind of conflict that's usually at the center, whether it's um whether it's land based, whether it's people versus people, um, if it's if it's some kind of chase, there. Uh, I mean, you often get chases that take place in westerns with just the the setting that they're in, um, and really that that open canvas, that blank open canvas, is really where it all begins. No matter what western you're talking about, is that you have this backdrop to it, and then you're setting your particular story within that backdrop. You know, it's funny you think about when Hollywood really got going and TV was something more than just a novelty. It was, you know, in the 50s and 60s, Westerns were everywhere. You know, Westerns on TV, whether it was The Lone Ranger or you name it, um, you get onto the big screen. Bonanza. Bonanza. Yeah. Gunsmoke. I mean, these are shows that went on for over 10 years. That doesn't happen these days in this day and age, not unless you've got something that is absolutely a staple, of which those shows would qualify. On the big screen, you get uh, the Italian spaghetti Westerns uh, and plenty others on top of that. And then the genre kind of went away for a while. And like a lot of genres that are specific, you kind of tie. Like right now, we're talking about the superhero genre on the big screen and the small screen. At some point, fans will tire, it'll go away, and then it'll probably come back. The Western has never really had a huge resurgence to any level representing anything near what it was. But but, 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 that is where we are really focusing in today on how it is still impact relevant even yeah. today and in many ways westerns are as big now as ever just in a different vein but i i want to get to that by by setting the stage with all yeah. that we do here with discussing them so it, it is interesting because westerns in their heyday um especially when you go back to the 30s and 40s what was going on at the time well you had the great depression you had world war ii that was happening Westerns were tales of heroes, and they were tales of, of people who were fighting the good fight, or in many cases fighting the good fight, or trying to to do their best to do just that. But then Westerns really took a turn from there in many ways, but they, they took a turn in such a way that they provided really compelling stories that, that came from them. Um, some uh, There are some incredibly great early Westerns. You know, you can go back as far as Stagecoach in 1939 as, as one that was really... Um, impactful and prevalent at its time and really helped set the stage. Um, but then you get you start getting into some of the John Wayne ones, but then you also have one like High Noon in 1952. Um, how about that for a title? <laughs> High Noon. Yeah, so with, with Gary Cooper. Really interesting tale that had a lot of a lot of deeper themes attached to it that started coming with with the Western. Then then you had the Searchers in nineteen fifty six, a bit of a a bit of a deeper John Wayne movie that um, that he was a part of and getting into and uh, one of one of the classic John Ford movies. Ford really started becoming the forefront director when it came to big time westerns, but big time westerns that were starting to to have a little bit of something to them. And then on a big canvas too. He was really well known for that. And, you know, there were a lot of different kind of Westerns. Some were just a straight-up good guy, bad guy showdown, nothing special. Evil, crooked, cattle, barren, something, nothing else. And then you started getting into some of those more multi-layered things. And even in the days now, I don't know if I want to skip ahead on you. I'm not sure what your what your uh, agenda is here. But you get to some of the movies now and again, uh, more recent, you start running into deeper, more conflicted ones. There's one from the early 2000s called The Hunted. Uh, or The Missing, rather. I'm sorry, The Missing with Tommy Lee Jones and Kate Blanchett. And that's about an abduction that they now have to track down the stolen daughter. And that's a layered movie. It's more than just about that. It's about uh, daughters and fathers coming together and, um, you know, sacrificing for your family that you maybe gave up on earlier. Um, deeper, deeper themes that you could see in a lot of different things. That's right. Yeah, and as things started to change with the Western, that's really where we get to the, the 1960s. There started to become, you can tell with, with Westerns in the 60s, there was more depth that was starting to come with type of story that was being told, but also it was getting grittier and it was getting into more complicated waters with some of the movies, with, with the way that they were starting to explore 
depth of character and and depth that that hadn't really gotten been gotten into before. Although you even go back to a movie like Shane in 1953, oh, yeah. which is which is a total classic. You started to see some of that beginning to really take hold, but then when you start getting into those spaghetti westerns of the 60s, suddenly it was a complexity and it was a, a bloodiness even oh, yeah. that had not been seen before in movies or even uh, or of the western type had not been seen before. It had been about spectacle previously. It had been about, you know, entertainment telling a an entertaining story, you know, whether it was it was outlaws versus outlaws versus good guys white or, hats black hats that's right or cow or even the the quote-unquote cowboy versus indian format sure. suddenly things started to change a little bit more as you got into the 60s and got into some of those spaghetti westerns and sergio leone was most definitely at the forefront of that when he introduced the dollars trilogy and the man with no name and that's where we should probably take a little bit of a of a dig deeper for those of us that are young enough that weren't around for the uh, the emergence of Clint Eastwood and the spaghetti westerns, what spaghetti westerns? What you you just, you just mentioned it right there. Leone was an Italian guy, and he came over and he was doing westerns. He thought it was, it was a lot of people from a lot of different countries that maybe weren't even American that thought that that era of the American Old West was kind of a romantic era, and they wanted to paint on that canvas. And Leone was one of those guys that really most definitely made his mark. And there were uh, several Italians with him, and hence became the nickname the Spaghetti Western. And that's where Clint Eastwood really, in a lot of ways, got it. He was in a couple of movies in the 50s, B-horror movies, but he really broke through before Dirty Harry, before um, any of his other movies as a time as a director. He got into the Spaghetti Westerns, and Leone helped teach him a lot of directing, which he's now, of course, carried on into his directing career. And uh, those Spaghetti Westerns are where he ran into the man with no name, um, and plenty of others as well. A Fistful of Dollars, like you said, the Dollars Trilogy. And they're all fantastic movies. Even today, they hold up. And they went away from the adventure aspect a little bit more into what the Western started to really take a foothold in, in terms of what it could do. And that was, when you take that that big blank canvas that I was talking about earlier, or that, that big open space of, of the, the West, and the Wild West in particular... And you put these these complicated characters within it, and you start to see how they play out over over this big canvas. You have very you have very personal um, and, and very close close to the vest kind of things that are going on in terms of the themes and the storyline that are happening. And it's being set out on a canvas that is much larger and much wider. And that's where you start to get some of the really compelling stories that get told then. And and they get told in an increasingly darker tone or a darker tinted tone that they come with. The, yeah. the Spaghetti Western certainly started doing that, culminating with The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which has gone down in history as a classic. And then, then you get a movie like Leone did those and they were a more entertaining shoot 'em up kind of style with with what he did with those three movies while having the themes attached to them that they did but then he switched gears almost entirely going into once upon a time in the west you know he starts it out with the classic shootout that that he would have to conclude his previous movies he started once upon a time in the west with a shootout and that kind of went to show that this is going to be a much different western than you've seen before. And I've I've told you this before, but one of the one of the great Easter eggs of that movie is that or what could have been Easter eggs was that he wanted the three guys who Charles Bronson's harmonica character shoots at the beginning of the movie, he wanted them to be Eli Wallach and Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef to take the three guys from the his previous one, the good, the bad and the ugly, and make them be the ones who get killed at the beginning by harmonica and that they're they're the bad guys just to show there's going to be something different about this western, and, and then he's got Henry Fonda as the bad guy, and he is, he is bad. Very oh, much against type, gosh. too. Yeah, very much against type, and you have you have more of the the economical side of the West that comes into it with the building of the railroad that's coming into the picture. There, there you, you see these themes of modernizing that are coming in the the modern West that you start to see a little bit more of in that movie. It's it's a great pivot in many ways. And yet it, it, it took that previous canvas and that previous model that he had made and did something a little bit different with it. Well, you look at 50s and beyond, it was 
cartoonish. I mean, there's exceptions, but it was largely cartoonish. It was entertaining. It was entertaining, it was, but yeah. it was it was they didn't date very well. You know, you can't really watch some of those fifties now and say, yeah, it's okay. They were wearing the vests and they were all these good guys. And then you start watching them from the sixties onward, and the spaghetti's had a lot to do with that influence because they were looking at it. Not necessarily, well, like kind of from a romantic point of view, but also from a non-American point of view. They looked at it a little more objectively, a little more historically accurate. So you look at pictures from, say, 50s Westerns, and you compare those to actual pictures from the Old West. They don't look quite the same as compared to the 60s Spaghetti Westerns in the Old West. That's where you start looking a little more realistic. Um, and they weren't so much good guys versus bad guys. You started getting the concept of the anti-hero that was coming in. You oh, know, yeah. Clint, Clint Eastwood was not the good guy. He was borderline a bad guy but he was fighting for the good guys in a lot of ways so it was more about where the anti-hero came in you could see traces from that leaking into many other things whether it's han solo whether it's almost freddy krueger in a way was almost an anti-hero he was well, the bad guy but you're, you're starting you're starting to touch on a little bit of what we're getting into okay i won't go this, too far won't which, go too far but that's great you're setting the tone you're setting the tone and that's a really important distinction to make because you start to see that anti-hero character come out more and more in these movies clint eastwood was the best representative of yeah. that not just in the spaghettis though you get into other other future ones like the outlaw josie wales getting into that or or any of his other movies he is so often that anti-hero type who is who is working to to perhaps good ends but maybe has not so good ways of going about doing it including shooting people up but uh, most notably but you get into other other realms of where you know this guy doesn't feel like your classic hero there's there's complexity to well, what he's doing there's and even, reason and even as the anti-hero character rose in the westerns Largely, the Westerns were pretty straightforward. I mean, life was simple back then. It wasn't quite so complicated. Um, so it wasn't so much shades of gray. It was a lot of black and white, both with the hats and with the character development. It was good versus evil in a lot of ways. You had the evil cattle baron or crooked sheriff or whatever the case, and you had that one group or one guy that was going to stand up to it. So it was men being men, realizing what was good. And even if they were shady characters like a lot of the anti-heroes were, they knew what was right and what was wrong, and they were going to take a stand. And that's something that, yeah, of course you see that in today's theater, but it was it was a lot more of a simple kind of life back then, so a lot less brimming under the surface. Don't watch a Martin Scorsese movie and expect the same kind of fairly straightforward. It's all shades of gray with that kind of stuff. With the Westerns, were a little more, even if you were a shady character, more of a gray character, you took a side one way or the other. It wasn't, you knew that Clint Eastwood wasn't going to all of a sudden turn around and join the bad guys. You knew that he had taken his stand, and that was it. That's right. But then as we start to move forward, the Western started to to sort of reach its peak in its heyday there in the 60s, and then... Peter out. It did start to. There were a couple notable ones toward the back end of the 60s that, that really made a name for themselves. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid oh, yeah. is, is one really notable one because... That took it a completely different direction even with more of the comedic element that came into it with these these two very well-known outlaws played by two very well-known actors in Paul Newman and Robert Redford. And they go a completely new direction with it in terms of telling the story of these guys with um, at times minimal dialogue during a, a very amu almost amusing chase that keeps you on the edge of your seat. And yet there's still an amusing element to it with them constantly going, who are those guys, while they're getting chased down. So that took it a new direction and did did something a little bit new and different. But then Eastwood was still going strong into the 70s. There were still a couple more that, that came along of his, notably the outlaw Josie Wales, which wasn't until 1976 that it came along. But by now, movies had really started to catch up with what the Westerns had already started doing in terms of becoming more violent, having a, a different type of tone to them. And and movies started to reflect that. Westerns were reflecting that already by now, you know, with, with a movie like The Wild Bunch in 1969, which was a very a very much more violent Western type of movie that was that was coming into the picture. That was starting to become more of the norm. And now the Western canvas was not being gone to quite as much. It was starting to get there, there were other movies in more 
more present day, more urban, or even even sometimes in more dystopian type of settings that were starting to be explored while the Western was not as much anymore. Well, and it's interesting if you compare the the rise and fall of the Western to what was going on at the time. Westerns kind of got their rise in the 30s and 40s, like we talked about. Well, what was going on then? You had the Great Depression, you had World War II. You know, maybe not the greatest period in history. Of course, it ended on a fairly nice note that catapulted us into the 50s. Then you come to the 70s, by many accounts, really not the greatest decade as far as American history goes. And the Western kind of started to die out. Clint Eastwood, he wasn't done with the Westerns, but he clearly started to step into another genre, and that's where Dirty Harry starts to come in, which, even though it's in modern-day 70s, San Francisco, it's not that far apart from a Western either, in that it's he, he's kind of like the anti-hero cop. He's a good guy because he's a cop, but he's not really a good guy, kind of an anti-hero type. So it's it's not a huge departure for him, but even the Westerns, there was a bit of a downturn. They were, you know, fun and exciting, but they were kind of dour at the same time. A lot of movies back at that time were. They were dour, and yet they were reflective of the dour nature yeah. of the period, especially with Vietnam going on and all the unrest at home as and it's, well. It's interesting when you compare, though, the beginning, you know, the 30s and 40s to the 70s. In There were some similarities there. And there were some dissimilarities, but it was interesting to see the wide disparagements in the way the Westerns were at the start versus at the end. And even though there was a similar climate in the real world, not exactly the same, but similar, the, the Western genre couldn't have been more different. So it was an interesting, I, I don't really know if I have an answer. It's just yeah. some more of an observation. Wonder why that was. Good time to remind you that Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, and we're glad to have them aboard, whether you're catching a Western there or just any film in general. Great place to go catch a movie over at the Bemidji Theater, and we're pleased to have them aboard as the sponsor for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. You may even notice as you go to the snack bar, they've got a little placard there that says, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, sponsored by Bemidji Theaters. That's right, funny enough, they do indeed. So you ever reached for it and flipped it around and showed it to the nice worker? Hey, that's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What size popcorn? I (laughs) I did have a friend point that out to me one time, and I was like, Hey, look at that. Or actually, I showed a, I also showed a friend one time, too. So, yeah, it's a little bit of that. Although, I haven't tried to use that to get popcorn. No, <laughs> it, it feels to, to me like being a Little League star in front of the in front of uh, Target Field signing autographs. That's awesome. Cute little boy. Pat him on the head. So, anyway, the Western started to, to have its, its period of decline. There have been movies that have come along, though, in the last several decades that have bucked the trend and have brought the Western back into the forefront, maybe in a different way, though, than previously. And I did want to start with Unforgiven in 1992, because that was directed and produced and starred Clint Eastwood in it. And he he made a huge, huge impact with that movie. It it ended up winning Best Picture in the end, only the third Western uh, to do that at the time. And then there was another, uh, Dances with Wolves had come previously, and that yeah. also was in the West in 1990. And then, um, and then you move forward to 2007, No Country for Old Men was able to do just the same thing as well. But Unforgiven when a, was a revisionist kind of Western movie in many ways and, and did something a little bit different with it and, and really explored some different themes and, and Eastwood left quite an impact with with doing something like that in a new way with a new type of western. Oh yeah, and you know, but the thing is that you know when the western started to peter out in the seventies, a lot of the movie studios that had a western backlot for the various shots, they started to disappear as well. The western kind of disappeared, and even though there's been some great examples of westerns, whether it was just fun and entertaining like Back to the Future Part Three, it's it's a true western, yeah. but it's not a true western at right. the same time. Um, there's a great comedy about uh, the 60s versus 70s called Rustler's Rhapsody with John Berenger, well worth looking up. Uh, all-star cast, Andy Griffith is the bad guy, but it's a comedy. Um, and that's a fun one. It's a send-up. Um, and there's been a couple others, but then you get into things like Unforgiven, No Country for Old Men. Well, this might just be the resurgence of the Western genre, and it never comes. Now you've got some areas that clearly... It's prevalent in today. You've got Westworld on HBO. You've got Red Dead Redemption for video gamers, all popular. Right. But it hasn't quite brought it back the way that it was at its heyday. But I don't think I don't think it is needed to. I think it's almost refreshing when we get these these Western films that come along every now and then um that, that leave an impact on in a pretty big way. Um or 
or make their make their mark in a really big way or do so in in something different that we haven't seen before even remakes your true grit was a really yeah. good remake that came along in the, in the 2000s which I can't believe I'm saying that about about a remake but it was a really good remake that came along in the 2000s so uh, even a movie like that that had previously come about in one iteration now coming back in another with what the Cohen brothers had done that yeah. the remake right yeah so coming back in a new way than but, previously know, before, or you get a completely different type of western like Django Unchained that comes along, which is is kind of of a western type of of variety. I know it's in the South a little bit with the way that it takes place, but it's it's got elements of a western to it as well. Oh, absolutely! And he find you know Tarantino. I think it was his next movie. Maybe there was one in between where he did. Uh, I can't remember if Inglorious Bastards came in between or before, but then he went it was to, bu- it was before. Then he went You're to Hateful Eight, right. so he did basically two westerns back to back. And the Hateful Eight is much more of a straight Western, a little different, but a straight Western. Um, yeah, but there's never been that hunger for it. This, it's refreshing when they come around, but you think, you know, you, you did Iron Man, for example. Let's talk comic books for a minute. Iron Man showed that, hey, we could do a good comic book movie. And clearly Marvel had some bigger plans for a bigger canvas, which is now finally reaching its completion. That hunger rose, despite a lot of misfires with the, you know, uh, with the Schumacher version of Batman and so forth. And then we really got into something big. But every time you get a great example of a Western, it doesn't become the start of a new wave. It's its own refreshing sidestep, and it never really delves further into that. It's not, and yet this brings us to the crux of this entire episode. And that is that I I really do believe that the Western is still as impactful now as ever, even though we are not seeing as many Western movies on the screen these days. Think about it, Dave. You brought this up earlier, and I'm glad that you did bring it up because it kind of whet the appetite for getting here to to the climax of sorts. That's what I do. You talked about the anti-hero. Where else have you seen anti-heroes in movies? You started naming a couple of examples. Where else have you seen anti-heroes? Oh, I don't have a paper long enough to come up with a list. I think I said Han Solo. You could say The Terminator. Uh, there's, there's such a long list. You just you can't. I mean, where do you start? You could you could argue though that the anti-hero type of character originated with westerns, and yeah. that we are still seeing those kinds of characters on the screens today and that that in many ways some of those 60s westerns that started to explore complex characters with a lot more depth to them and and reasoning behind them really set the tone for some of the future anti-hero characters that we are seeing now on on the big screen i can take it even further than that not so much the characters but the genre now maybe it's because westerns were a popular genre at the time that tv was getting its start at the time that cinema was really kind of getting its start i mean movies you don't think about it from a commercial standpoint really didn't get going to the 20s well 10 years later came the western so as theater as the movies and cinema began to rise this was the genre so is it that Westerns started the genre, or is it just that they were at the front end? You could see a lot of the simple rules that existed through a lot of the Westerns that are reapplied in other formats. For example, Star Trek is based on a Western, even though it takes place in the far future. There was a show called Wagon Train, and when G- it was basically being on a, like the Oregon Trail. And every week they'd stop at a new town or a new spot, and they'd see what was going on and a problem there, and then they'd move on and go to the next town. And that's how Gene Roddenberry pitched Star Trek. He said, it's a wagon train in space. And so every week you have a new planet, a new this, a new that. When they went around to Star Trek Deep Space Nine, rather than going from town to town, you were the town where different people would swing through and it would be an adventure. Then they would leave. And the next week another group would come. And it was complete with the main street, which was the promenade. You had the constable or the sheriff. And you had the crooked saloon keeper with the Romulan or the Romulan, the Ferengi quark. So... Um, that was Star Trek based on the Westerns, but in a completely different way that if you didn't think about it, you wouldn't see. You can look at things like Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry is a Western without the hat. You know, it's very much the same. And without the West. And without the West, but he's got the sidearm, you know, and he's got the six-shooter of 44. Uh, and so you can take a look at movies from the 70s and even now, and you could see the rules that emerged in the Western and maybe that's just because, like I said, that it was at the beginning of cinema and you're coming up with these rules. You can basically see a movie today that's not set anything like a Western, but it kind of is a Western. And at least it operates like a Western. I should probably preface that also 
that it was the without the old West. There, yeah. With, with Dirty Harry, without the old portion of the West. Yes, newer Western, San Francisco. But Dave, you're hitting on it perfectly. You're hitting the nail on the head with, with what I was wanting to get into here because think about it with space movies in particular. You brought up Star... And space television. You brought yeah. up Star, Star Trek. That was a great example. When you think about movies, think about Star Wars. Think about Alien. Think about these movies that are set in this even wider canvas of space, this incredibly large canvas, and yet you get these small-scale human stories or adventure stories that are getting told amidst this large campus, canvas. The Western set the scene of how that should look and what that should look like in that you've got these, these little complex stories that are playing out within the midst of something much wider, and it gets you thinking when you start to see these the, these huge landscapes around you, it gets you thinking because you see the little things that are happening within the context of all of that with so much open to be able to, to think about and talk about. Space does the same thing. There's so much that's out there framing what goes on within it, the little things that go on within it. Western set the tone for that. Space movies have carried on with that. Other movies have, have carried on in terms of putting it into a big type, a big picture kind of setting and let's tell a story within it. You know the big setting that we are giving you. Now let's tell you the little story that goes on with it, within it. Adventure type of, of genres have taken on so many different things, so many different elements and aspects of, of what the Western set in motion as far as being able to tell a story amidst the breakneck pace of going from A to B and all the adventure that is coming within it, that set the tone for for so many different kinds of movies that have followed after. Well, we you know we always find our way circling back to Star Wars because it can cover a lot of base and answer a lot of questions. The original trilogy very much framed like a western. Then they did this, the prequel trilogy, and it really wasn't a western. It was like watching how many times you run into trade disputes in a western. It just it isn't there. Right. It got away from that and it tried to have a wider scope than you would get in a western, and it didn't work for Star Wars. Star Wars really is best when you're not in the middle of a big trade hub and you know the Coruscant thing. You got to be on the outpost on the far edge of space, the far edge of civilization. And you're just going by your wits and your six-shooter on your hip or your laser blaster on your hip. That's what makes Star Wars work. And that's what worked in the original trilogy. And that's what's working since Disney's done it, The Force Awakens, and even The Last Jedi. Last Jedi, Luke Skywalker is basically the anti-hero. You know, he kind of becomes the reluctant Han Solo hero type who goes and faces down the bad guys at the end. You know, and it, it works when you do it as a Western. And whether it's Rogue One or whether it's the new Han Solo movie that's coming up, that you'd be very much be the, the fun-loving Western, kind of Butch Cassidy-looking type. Um, and we'll see what they do with Episode Nine. But when Star Wars works as a Western, it works. So you can see where the influence of the Western continues, whether it's a Western movie or not, to really make an influence. It, it's great seeing that, too. And you see that on television, I think, even more. On oh, yeah. television, you're seeing that these days because we, we've discussed this yep. in, in our recent episodes, how television has really entered into a golden age because of the storytelling. What made Westerns really compelling, some of the best ones, the way they told the story, and they did so within the setting that I was just explaining. Think about Game of Thrones. That's, that's almost a Western that's set within medieval time yeah. in, in many ways. Think about Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, yeah. in particular draws so many elements from a western it's it's incredible and it, and yet it's within the modern day is is where it's set but it's set in new mexico so you have that big blank canvas of the desert and you get these beautifully filmed shots that come with that and yet you have a very raw real human story that's going on at the core that is playing out right in front of you and better call saul has just carried on with that now when, since they've spin off spun off so you see it a lot on television, and you're still seeing it in movies today that are that are playing on that, even if it is not outright a Western with the hats, with the horses, with all of that. You got elements from a Western that have impacted movies to this day, no matter what the genre is. And when you watch it, you can say, that movie is no doubt influenced in some way, shape, or form by a Western. With, with the way that it's filmed, with the way that the story is told, with the way that the characters are developed, it's that big canvas with very real, emotional, 
pull that is going on within it as far as how the characters are being impacted within all of that. And and it's just such an open space for them to go whatever direction as a character. And you're trying to figure out what direction they're going to go. There's a rule of thumb in storytelling. The audience is willing to take one leap with you. Now, whether that leap is that we can do time travel. Okay, then that's the leap. Time travel can exist for the realm of this. That's your one leap. You don't get a second leap after that. You know, because it's too much, too much, and too far of a gap for the audience to follow. So you're allowed one one lap. So you're going to go to the Old West. That's not really your leap. But Old West, Western movies, Western genres, whether they're framed like a Western in modern days, however you do it, you don't tend to get a leap there. They don't have twists. They don't have shock endings. You might have something unexpected, but it's not known as the M. Night Shyamalan genre. You know, it's straightforward. You get a show like The Walking Dead, which is still a highly rated show on cable, probably the highest rated show on cable, but it's not what it was. And it started very much like a Western, a very unusual type of Western, more like Undead Redemption. Right. But it's gone and done a lot of twists and turns, and it's kind of lost its footing, and it's a little and less like a Western. And that's where the problem's been. And that's where the problem is. So the, what the numbers were compared to what the numbers are, and still as impressive as they are, it's not the same because the show has lost its footing. If you got a show that works on Western rules and you start to get overcomplicated, and I think that's what I'm getting to, there are some shows that they rely on being creative. You know, They should all be creative, but almost too creative for its own good. M. Night Shyamalan has a hard time making movies nowadays because everybody knows there's a twist coming. What will it be? You're all trying to sniff it out. You had no idea Bruce Willis was dead in the, in the sixth sense, and now everyone knows and everyone's waiting for that twist. So his, his gimmick is kind of used up. If you get a genre like a Western, it's just straightforward, good versus evil, or some play on that. And that's what makes it work. It's just straightforward like real life. That's right. And there's that element of the unknown yeah. that comes with them. And that's why even frontier movies can can still work today. Like look at the Revenant and how well that did when, yeah. when it came came out and came along. You know, that when you get into the frontier aspect, you still have that unknown that Westerns brought with them. That that fear of the unknown of exploring new land. You know, that that was what that was what happened within the West anyway for, for people who – for pioneers who were trying to travel and settle out there, for those who were, who were trying to start a new life out there. And then you, got, you get the complexities of the outlaws that came along then because it was all amidst a very open space which can play on people's minds in so many different ways. And those movies have touched on that, and now they're, they're just continuing to influence other movies that are working to that same end, characters who are – more than ever, trying to find themselves within this this backdrop that lends itself to you have a, all the possibility in the world within a space like this. What's going to happen to you? What's going to become of you? In many ways, the best movies, the best TV shows are characters trying to figure that out. And what do you need? You need a compelling setting to go with it, whether it's a very confined setting or whether it's an open setting. And yet the Western... You see it, and you see its influences now more than ever. And even if you if you hear directors' commentaries, so many times westerns are a part of what made a movie what it was because you draw the inspiration and the influence from the way that they told a story and the way that they figured out how to tell a story and tell about these characters. So we may only get an occasional western or two that comes along. You know, there there was the very recent uh, Christian Bale one, Hostels, that just came yep. out here a little bit ago. We still get those that occasionally pop up every now and then, and we'll continue to get those that will pop up every now and then. And maybe one or two will will be really influential or will will do something a little bit different. I think there's still more to be told within the western genre. I the, agree. Like the western genre period, but the western is not dead in terms of its influence. No. Far from it. You see I, it all the time. But I also think it comes down to the different camps that filmgoers come from. I mean, you and I, we're, we're not consumers. We're savers. We're going to watch and just take in all the nuances. There are some people, and I'm not saying that one is good and one is not good. They're just different camps. There's been a, a large group of filmgoers 
that have, because of Hollywood's own doings, they're just, they want the explosions, they want the spectacle, they want the razzle-dazzle. Content is almost secondary to compose right. to the spectacle. So you're going to do a show like, say, Fast and Furious, where you get all these frantic you know, edits where not one shot lasts more than a second and a half. It doesn't really work like that in a Western. And even if you tried it, if you cut... If you took a Western that exists, a great Western, and you cut it differently, like a Fast and the Furious for the horse chase or the bad guy over the ravine or whatever, it doesn't work for a Western. It takes you out of it. And so if that's what you're used to is the razzle-dazzle, you're not going to find it in a Western. So oftentimes if you're at the movie and you got a trailer coming for what's yet to come and it's a Western, you always get a comment after the trailer, ooh, I want to see that, or eh. The Westerns never, every time I've ever seen them, I think it's been tried. I oh, think yeah. it's been tried before. Like, look at the most recent Lone Ranger where they went bombastic. It with didn't it, work, did and it? And it didn't work. didn't work for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's not just the editing. Everything about that movie was, was a dumpster fire. Uh, long time coming. Right. But, you know, if they did it right, it would have worked. And they dumped a lot of money in it when they realized it wasn't going to work to try to make it work better. And it might have fixed it, but you can't put a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. So it works if you do it right. If you don't, it doesn't work so well. Do you want to close it out with a couple of good Western examples that maybe people don't think about? Everyone thinks about a Clint Eastwood Western, but maybe a couple of hidden gems? Hidden gems for Westerns. That's that's where it gets tougher because I don't, I don't know if any of the ones that I really appreciate are that much in the way of hidden gems. That's I, okay. I, I will say that the good and the bad, the ugly gets so much of the, the hype when it comes to Wow, what a what a classic in terms of what Eastwood's done and what Sergio Leone's done. But you watch Fistful of Dollars and for a few dollars more prior to that. Those are those are two very good ones that started to set the scene as far as um really good soundtrack and telling a really good story with with Eastwood's man with no name. And even for a few dollars more is interesting because if you think about it and you've you've not seen that but you have seen Good, the Bad and the Ugly Clint Eastwood is teamed up with Lee Van Cleef yeah. in that movie, funny enough. They're, they're bounty hunters who start out on opposite sides because they're trying to get to their bounty first, but then they realize they've got to team up, and they have much different motivations that they have going into the job that they go do. So I don't know if they necessarily fly under the radar, but maybe in some ways they do because of what came then with the good, the bad, and the And, the, you know, there's a lot of great, any genre, there's some that just kind of rise head and shoulders above the rest, and sometimes others kind of disappear. Type this up, look this up. This is a 60s Western called My Name's Not Nobody. It's not a very good grammatical title, but it's the name of a movie. It's a quirky one. It's a kind of a Western comedy. And the actor, the lead actor, is a German guy, actually. Um, 1973, yes, okay, spaghetti western comedy. Yeah, and it's it's an unusual one. It's, I thought it was from the 60s, early 70s. That'd be about right. What's the name of the lead guy, the the actor? He's German, I remember. Let's see. Well, Henry Fonda is in it, but yeah. Terrence Hill is the main guy. Yeah, there's it's it's actually my father-in-law is one of his favorite movies. He likes the westerns, and so my wife and I found it. We got it. We watched it first, and then we gave it to him. And it was very quirky but very interesting. It's everything about it, even from the soundtrack to the slapstick comedy in this western. It's also a straight-up western. You know, it's it's an unusual way to explain it. But if you're looking for something different that's still very much a spaghetti western, that might qualify. Interesting. I don't think I've ever heard of that one before. I've never heard of it before either. My name's not nobody. That's the name of the movie. Uh, you want to go to the 80s when, when westerns were kind of gone? How about Silverado? Great movie. All-star cast, Jeff Goldblum, uh, Kevin Klein, Brian Dennehy, even Kevin Costner's got a small part in it. It is just Danny Glover's in it. Um, wow. Yeah, You don't get a lot of black guys in westerns, but he's there, and he's a great role in it. Um, it's a great all-star Western. Lawrence Kasdan wrote and directed it, um, who's also involved in Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he's, he wrote with his son the new Star Wars Han Solo movie coming out. Uh, and it's a fantastic movie. All-star cast, um, well worth checking out. And if you want a good slow burn one, Kevin Costner's in this one too called Open Range with Robert Duvall. It's a slow burn. It's not a movie like today where it's you know looped together by one action sequence and another action sequence. It starts slow, works its way up slow, but builds to one of the best shootouts I've ever seen. And I've seen a whole bunch of westerns, and it's one of the best. It's a fantastic movie. Open Range came out in 2005, something like that. If you're looking for a western that is pretty well known, but it's it's not 
you don't quite think of it the same way because it's it's not a shoot 'em up kind of western as far as the old west, but how the West was won yeah. has so many stars in it. It has such a huge, huge canvas to it, and it's very long. But if if you yeah. like an epic and you want a Western epic, how the West was won is for you. It is most definitely for you. I think there there are five different parts to the plot of of how it all takes out. There's the rivers, the plains, the civil war the railroad and the outlaws that that take place within there and, and different casts within each one just about and and the cast list is is extraordinary yeah what year was that again 1962 62 i knew i was saying it's almost the 50s i think but no yeah 62 yeah there's a lot of great ones out there and not all of them have to have Clint Eastwood in them or as funny enough as much as the duke was very much a part of the westerns we only kind of mentioned uh, him in passing we only scratched the surface, really, oh, yeah, with that's what true. John Wayne was able to do with, with Westerns and the influence. But he, he brought that, that Western persona to it, that, that good guy trying to do things for the right reason. Sometimes in, in some movies, there'd be, there'd be more complexity to him than others. But yeah, the, the Duke was the king of the West, especially of the adventure element of the West and some of the nobility that that attempted to come with the West as well. Although there'd be complexity sometimes. You watch the man who shot Liberty Valance, there's a lot of complexity oh, yeah. there to him. Yeah. Boy, it's you know it's amazing when you think about those and even movies that are not truly westerns but are very much westerns, like the original Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan the Barbarian. That's a western, even though it takes place in fictional ancient times. It's very much a western. You sword got it. rather than six shooter. Once again, that that really does, I I think that does bring it back to the main point very well, Dave, that even though Westerns, they come along every now and then, and like I said earlier, I'm sure we'll see some new iterations that we're going to go, that's really great, That's that's a great new play on the Western. It might not bring the genre back, but hopefully there will continue to be Westerns that dot the movie landscape every now and then that are really worth appreciating with how well they're done. But the Western is everywhere. Yeah. It is everywhere these days in television, in movies. And that's worth appreciating because we still see the impacts of it today. Even though the West has maybe been won and lost, it has come back around and it still remains transcendent in more ways than just a true Western movie on screen. Well, think about what a short time in American history the Old West was. It really wasn't that long of a time. Uh, roughly Civil War to the 18, call it 1890s, really. Um, it's like Prohibition era. It wasn't that long of an era, but it's almost a romantic era. World War II wasn't that long of a time, but how many things have been tapped from that, and it continues to come up and around. You don't see a lot of that stuff, you know, unless it was something that was actually made in that era. Maybe the 1980s, you get a lot of things set back in the 80s because of the pop culture. But just the fact that that is the case says something about that era, that the original source material is so rich, it's virtually bottomless well to tap. The stories with it, they also have gone down in legend. And that gives another reason to tap into that legend and say, what kind of story do we have to tell from this? We've got plenty to tell from it. So. Appreciate the time coming along with us today for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Hop Along Dave. And we will see you next on the other side of the river at the movies.